Welcome to Jewelry Artist, where we examine the art and business of making jewelry. Join me for intriguing conversations with jewelry artists who will inform and inspire you. I'm Katie Hacker, your host. My guest today is Robert Lopez, and he's a lapidary turned metalsmith, but he's been an artist all of his life. And we talk about a lot of things, including how stubbornness can help you be successful as an artist. Hey, Robert, I'm so glad you're here today. Hi, Katie. How you doing? Thanks for having Good. me. All the way across state lines. I'm in Arizona and you're in California, right? Yep, but we're, we are neighbors. We're very close neighbors. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And, you know, I feel like not to get too corny about it, but our whole jewelry making community, it's all about being neighborly. You know, that's yeah. how I met you was through friends of a friend, Francesca Watson and Jeff Volkerson. So I'm excited that you're here today to talk about your jewelry. And, and you know, Francesca, and you know, Jeff, and they spoke about me highly or were they talking about <laughs> Because I know both of them very well. <laughs> they only told me the good stuff. So you're good. Uh, okay. So, so it was a very short conversation. <laughs> uh, well, now you're here. I can ask you myself. There you go. So one of the things that I know about you is that you make really bold jewelry pieces and that you were not formally trained as a jeweler. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. Um, I'm completely self-taught. Um, I think that kind of, uh, I think that helped me out along my way of being self-taught because I didn't, I didn't pick up other people's habits or their designs, I guess. Oh, that's so, a good point. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way I, that's the way I've, I've always looked at it. Yeah. I'm kind of the same, you know, and I learned from a lot of books and watching videos too, and meeting people who knew how to do what I wanted to learn. You know, but it is true once you're back in your studio and just spending your hours and hours of practice, you can create your own style. Yeah. Yeah. So like when I when I very, very first started, um, I was working in construction and I was I wasn't making very much money. And I did it as a hobby because I was I was cutting stones um, first. I was a lapidary artist and I needed to do something with the stones. So I said, OK, what's this what's this metalsmithing about? So I started reading books and looking online and magazines and I, I couldn't actually afford to take any formal classes. I always wanted to take classes from other instructors, but I just couldn't afford it. I couldn't afford the, the costs and I couldn't afford the time away from my family. My, my sons are young, my wife's disabled and I couldn't really travel. So I just said, okay, well, I got to, I got to learn this through trial and error and, you know, get the information anywhere I could. So it was, it was a lot of books, a lot of magazines, YouTube videos, and then a lot of experimenting, just seeing what the metal does and seeing if I can get, uh, get a technique down with a, a tool that maybe wasn't made for jewelry making. Maybe it was a construction hammer or a torch for, for plumbing. And I just did what I had to. And um, I, like I said earlier, I think it's benefited me. So I have had some apprentices that, that I've taught and they seem to pick up my style. And I see a lot of other people do the same thing. They learn from somebody next thing, you know, their, their pieces kind of look like theirs. Well, right. I didn't have that. I didn't have that luxury. So my, I think my pieces kind of developed on their own because I didn't have a mentor. I didn't really, pick up somebody else's um, habits or designs. Well, it's interesting what you say about picking up some of their tools. I, you made me remember that when I first started doing jewelry making, I was really into wire wrapping and I quote unquote borrowed the tools off of my dad's workbench. <laughs> <You know, laughs> <that laughs> never, I actually never gave them back. Sorry, dad. <laughs> but um, you know, you really do can, make things conform to what you need them to do. So it's yeah. sort of like, Oh, I need a torch. I know how to use this kind. Yep. Yep. And that, was that's it um, really that's revealing fun. when you learned that there were special, special torches that you could use for jewelry making that would give you different results? 
Oh, absolutely. So, um, so again, like you said, I was, I was wire wrapping. So the first piece of jewelry I ever made was, was a wire wrap piece of jewelry. Cool. And I did that, did that for a couple of years and I was just using random tools. But as I started doing more research, I started looking into torches and then like, you know, I, the plumber's torch still works. So you can still use like a math gas torch. But when I found, when I found out you can use, you can buy and use the Smith little torch, it was like a whole new world just opened up. It's a whole new world. <laughs> it, was, it was amazing. The things I can do with this little torch. So yeah, it was uh, the right tool for the right job. It does help. Yeah. And that you can kind of grow that in that way, I think is different about jewelry making than some other, some other things that people learn to do when you're learning how to do jewelry making on your own and watching videos and reading books and going to the lapidary club and all the things that you were doing. Do you have some heroes that you want to talk about? Oh yeah, absolutely. So from, from the get go, um, I started coming across a couple, a couple guys that I still look up to this day. And um, the first thing that pops up is Andy Cooperman. Um, Andy Cooperman to me is like the metal smithing God. His work is so fine. So very fine. It's amazing what he does. And just uh, his, um, his designs and his texturing really resonate with me. Um, So to this day, I still look at, I I look at his work and I admire his work. Uh, Another, another um, artist that I really um, like is uh, Harold O'Connor and uh, Michael Boyd and then uh kit carson so if you, if you don't know who kit carson is kit carson is uh he's a jewelry artist out of i believe arizona and he does amazing work and i've actually met him a few times a really nice guy and just does really beautiful engraving and um, a lot of his work is art art nouveau inspired inspired and i love art nouveau i love alphonse Mook, alphonse Mook, Mook, Mooka, oh me too yeah <laughs> i have his art all over my house so he um kit carson does a lot of art nouveau mixed with Western themes and a lot of um, uh, engraving, a lot of engraving. Um, his work's amazing. But yeah, those he had guys a piece. Like- yeah, he had a piece on the cover of Lapidary Journal, jewelry artist, um, that was made from a license plate, I think, yeah. or some kind of embossed metal and red and turquoise and had a big cabochon in the middle and just really beautiful. And also mm-hmm. kind of that rough, rough hewn feeling, but very finished you know yeah so i believe so i I believe all all three of those so um maybe maybe not michael boyd so much but andy cooperman harold o'connor kit carson they all have this feel to the work it's it's very rough it's very archaic i think um but it's very they're they're masters at what they do they're they 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 have they've mastered their craft but they have a way of making their their pieces still look rough and kind of not perfect and that's what i that's what i love Um, when i look at jewelry that's how, how my jewelry is my jewelry is very rough yeah, I was going to say, I can see that in your work too. You have very, um, you'll combine like a very smooth bezeled stone with a very rough textured plate. Yeah. So, all of my, all of my stuff has edges. They're all edgy and sharp and dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you can laugh when you're saying edgy and dangerous. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's with a so, sense of humor, I guess. And I used to make, I used to make a lot of rings. Rings were my, my, uh, my bread and butter for a long time. And I'd make these rings where they would stick up and there'd be edges and they'd be big and people would be at my, at my shows and they'd say, well, how do you wear a ring like that? And I say, well, it's a cocktail ring. You just got to be conscious that you're wearing it. You can't shove your hand in your pocket and you don't want to be wearing a knitted sweater. And then, and then I always, and I always fall back on it. This is kind of funny. So always, so when, when ladies look at my work, I, I look at them, I go, well, did you figure out how to, how to wear high heels and walk with them? I said, I, I don't see how you figured that out, but but you figured it out. You just got to know that you're wearing them and watch out for those potholes. So that's what hey, I, think I appreciate wearing. the respect there, Robert. Definitely. Right. Right. <laughs> this got to be difficult to wear. You're not born with that skill. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't think you were. Yeah. 
That's funny. And I think that a lot of your work is special occasion wear, where you would plan your whole outfit around it or um, wear it for a certain event or something. I could definitely see that. Yeah, absolutely. They're not, they're not for everybody. They're, they're bold. It's, it's, it's kind of funny when I describe to people what I do, like if they don't know me or they don't have any work on me, they ask me what I do and I tell them what I do. And they always look at me kind of weird and they go like, they look at me because I don't look like, I don't know, I must look like a, a construction worker. They look me up and down and they go, you, you make jewelry? And I go, I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's not that kind of jewelry. It's not, <laughs> it's it's not, not what you it's think. Not, it's not fine jewelry. <laughs> and then I, then I describe it to them. Like, it's artisan jewelry. It's these big, bold pieces. They're not things you're going to wear every day takes a special person to wear it. Um, you know, you gotta be brave. You gotta, you know, be able to afford it and you know, yada, yada, yada. So it's always, it's always fun describing to people what I do, especially when they, when they're looking at me in person. Right. Well, everybody has an idea of what a jewelry maker is. And I don't know that very many of us actually fit into that mold very well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I really think I don't. Well, I think your pieces are really, um, they really draw you in. You know, and but they are the kind of piece that you could see from across the room. Mm-hmm. They're on the whole, the one the pieces that I've seen. Yeah. Do you um feel like when you first started um down the path of thinking that jewelry could be a business for you, was it in selling your work or was it through teaching classes or did it kind of happen simultaneously? Um you know, I think it was stubbornness. It was, it was, it was, it was actually stubbornness. So I've been an artist my whole life since I was a, a young, you know, young, since I was a kid. And, um, I lived, I grew up kind of in a, in a rough neighborhoods and, uh, you know, um, I didn't have a lot of support as an artist, I guess. People didn't really uh, push me into, into art. They didn't, they never really encouraged me. It was always kind of like, you know, Oh, you know, what are you going to do with that? You know, you can't, you can't make a living at it. Right. And then, so I, I always believed that. And I, I thought it would just be a hobby. And then I, I remember the day I have a, I have a good friend and I've actually mentioned it, mentioned it to him. Um, Cause I think he forgot. So when I was making jewelry and I told him I was going to quit my job and I was going to, you know, make jewelry full time. He, and he was a little bit older than me. And he says, you know, you can't make a living at jewelry. And then I told him, I said, I said, you can't make a living at jewelry, but we'll see what I can do with it. So he, I, right. think, I think he was telling me what his limitations were. And I'm, I'm a stubborn guy and I, I like winning and I like, I like being right. So it was more <laughs> of a challenge. It was a more of a challenge for me to say, you know what, I'm going to work as hard as I can to do what I do and, um, and make what I make. And I believe that if you follow your bliss and you do what you love, um, everything will come after. So in other words, so my, my motto and my success has come because I don't make jewelry for anybody else but myself. When I make a piece, I don't care what anybody thinks about it. I don't care who's going to like it. I don't care if it's going to sell. I make it because it makes me happy and I find it interesting to look at. And I figure eventually somebody will like that piece. Um, I've made probably 2,000 pieces and I probably only have about 20 in my jewelry case right now. So I've sold all those pieces to somebody. There's always been somebody for the piece. Yeah. So there you go. How do you think that you find the fit? You know, how do you, how do you people find you or how do you find them and then the fit for the piece? Um, back in the days before I was teaching and before I was traveling on the road, um, I was doing art shows. I would, I would just, I started off doing very small shows like craft shows, um, little, um, street fairs. And Mm -hmm. then my work got, my work got bolder and people started responding to it more. So the prices went up. So the prices went up. I couldn't do the street fairs. So I had to find better, better festivals, better art shows. And that's, that's where I was selling most of my pieces. But over the last four years, I've been um, teaching on the road, large, large uh, workshops, you know, with promoters and events. Right. And 
I have so many students in those classes that I can just put my jewelry out and the students will buy all my, all my work now. So I no longer have to go to um, shows or events or, or galleries because my students just, I can't make them fast enough for my students to buy. Um, so that's, that's where they all go now. Has that changed since so many of us have had to stay home and be off the road? Oh, absolutely. Um, well, luckily, I'm not I'm not concerned about the jewelry sales right now um, because I haven't really had time to make a lot of my my work. Uh, a lot of so the last, I don't know, two or three years with, with the workshops, they take up so much time preparing for these workshops, making the courses, doing the paperwork and everything that's right. involved with, with courses. I haven't had a lot of time to make a lot of jewelry and, and build up my stock. So the jewelry sales isn't a concern for me right now. It's my concern is is my workshops. That's that's what that's what pays the bills right now and, and has been the last few years. But with COVID, um, so right now, actually right now, uh, I'm supposed to be in North Carolina right now. So I was I had five different workshops from Washington, Pennsylvania, and North Carolina, actually Wisconsin also that all got canceled because of COVID. So I had to find a new way and I had a, I had a hustle. I had, find, I had to find a new hustle, and that new hustle is making online um, video courses, and that's what I'm focused on right now. And that's what's paying the bills. That's great. It's so good that you can do that from anywhere. I mean, I think it is probably best to be in your workshop to yeah. record for online classes. But really, you could do that. You know, if you do get back on the road, you could record online classes, possibly even. Yeah, but that's um, great I'm, that people can come to you, you know, right where you are. Yeah, I miss I miss being on the road. I miss the, the camaraderie of with the other instructors and meeting Me the too. students. And it's it's such I've met I can't even explain to you how many people I've met that we are such good friends now. The community of instructors and students. I have best friends now that I met literally from workshops. I mean, me too. <laughs> Francesca Watson. She, you know, we call each other brother and sister. We we have a deep love for each other, like family love. And I met her. Um, teaching. I taught for her at her studio. And now, um, you know, we're, we're like siblings, like we talk almost every day. And, you know, along with Jeff Fulkerson and Richard Sally, and, you know, there's so many artists out there that we have become great, great friends. And I miss that. That's, that's one thing I really do miss right now. Yeah, it really is nice. I don't miss, you know, kind of toting my stuff all over creation, oh, but yeah. I do miss seeing, seeing people. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that toting those tools. I don't know. So everybody that, everybody that saw me on the road when I would do these workshops with other instructors, they would see my trailer and I would, I would pulling out like two or three rolling mills. I'm pulling out three guillotine shears, five drill presses. Like, what are you, did you bring your entire studio? And I practically did. I bring almost the entire studio to my workshops. You're like, you are crazy, Robert. But yeah, I, don't, <laughs> I, I don't miss that. That's for sure. No, it's a lot of hauling, but I think it speaks to your, um, you know, your level of professionalism and creativity that you need your stuff when you're on the road. And it also is helpful to provide it for people to use. Yeah. Just absolutely. in case they don't have it. Absolutely. So the good thing about that is I know that a lot of a lot of students, if they're um, they're just getting into it, they they don't have access to a rolling mill or, mill or a guillotine shear, something like that. And they, and they're they're probably possibly considering buying one. Well, if I bring it if I bring it to them and let them use it. Um, if, if maybe they have a fear of it, I can show them that it's not it's not as dangerous or it's something that they can use and show them the possibilities if they you know if they want to purchase something like that. So that's why I, I would bring everything. Um, also, my my work is it involves all that stuff. So I, I'm the kind of instructor where I don't I well I actually try to teach what I actually make. I don't I don't dumb down the projects. I don't. Um, so if you look at some people's work and then like, you see my work and then I have a workshop and it's it's nothing like my work. It's it's very simple. I don't. I don't find that, I, I don't know, I, I don't think students would like that. I think they want to learn what I actually do. So I have to bring those tools, the tools that I actually use to make my pieces. So that was, that was the problem. But 
Yeah, I guess now you can just, you don't have to worry about it right at this very moment. Although all that stuff is probably lying in, lying in wait for the next time you go out on the road. Absolutely. And I'm still, I'm still collecting tools, even though I don't have workshops. <laughs> what kind of tools are you collecting? Well, recently I just picked up a new guillotine shear. I, I did a swap. So I, I, I posted a, a shear that I use to, um, to my Facebook group. Let people know that it was on sale. And somebody else posted something. They said, oh, I have one of these shears. I want to get rid of it. So, and I already have one. I said, well, let's let's trade. I said, do you want to take one of my workshops? I'll trade you my workshop. I'll give you a code. Just send me send me the guillotine shear. I don't need the shear. It's just sitting in my just sitting in my studio. I've got three rolling mills. I've had, <laughs> had five, I've had five at one time. Oh my goodness! Just, if it's a tool and I can do something with it, I will I will pick it up. I will horse trade for it. I'll buy it and then maybe give it to somebody else or trade trade somebody else that possibly needs it. I'm a I'm a total tool collector. Okay, so I'm sure my dad. I've already mentioned him once in this. Uh, talk, but I'm going to say again, my dad is a huge tool collector. And my mom just told me that over the weekend, they collected a cardboard box full of hammers. Yes. Yes. Now, <laughs> the last time he used a hammer, I don't know, <laughs> you know, but he likes having them. I think there's some comfort in having these cool old tools, even if you're yes. not making something right now. A man at my own heart. Yes. Yes, so many hammers. And that wasn't and he, even all the hammers. There are more and he, hammers. And he doesn't, he doesn't swing them anymore? He just collects them? <laughs> yeah, a good friend of him told him many years ago, a good friend of our family told my dad he can collect all the tools he wants, but he can't use them. Uh, it's like dangerous when he's using them. Yeah, I've got, <laughs> I've got, so I've got a, I got a pretty big studio. I think it's 1,700 square feet. And it's just loaded with tools. And, I, and me, me, we've been having a conversation lately, me, my wife, and my son. Um, we, we need to go into my studio and we need to start labeling all my tools, what they are, what, what they're worth, how much, how much I paid for them and how much they can be resold for in case I pass away so that they would know what to do with these tools because I don't want to leave them with the burden of all my tools. And I'm, I'm slightly a pack rat, I guess. I'm not, I'm not a hoarder. <laughs> I'm not a hoarder, but I'm, I am a collector. I'm a collector of tools and equipment. <laughs> That's not, there's nothing wrong with that. But you are right, um, you know, at least to have for them to have some awareness of what you have. It is important. Yeah, yeah because yeah. they don't they don't know. My sons aren't metalsmiths. They don't they don't care to learn it. They don't know what these things are. And then my my human calculator son, he's like a, he's like a robot. He's like, hey, dad, you know, um, it would be easier is if you got a barcoder and, and you barcoded all your stuff and put it into a program. Blah, blah, blah. And I there said, you go. Like, it might make your life easier, but I don't care when I'm about <laughs> how, how easy your life is. Just deal with it. <laughs> that sounds like a really great project for him to be in charge of. I that's love what that. he's supposed to, that's what that's exactly he is in charge of that that's great that your whole family is involved i think so many of us who make jewelry it is kind of a family affair on a certain level even though they may not know what the tools are for or what you use certain things for you know it, everybody in the house kind of it's a big part of us you know yeah i, I can't really say it about my family my, my wife um, is a big supporter of mine she does she does um so right now she's in charge of editing so it, when I, whenever I write a handout or I write a PDF or I, I, anything that's written, I have to, cause I'm, I'm horrible, horrible at spelling, horrible, horrible at grammar, punctuation. I just, I shouldn't have graduated high school. But anyway, so I, I give her the paperwork. She edits it for me. Edit, edit, edit. Damn, well, that means you're a good team then. I'm Lucky you. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't have to pay her anything. You know, it seems to me like all of a sudden I became aware of how you mentioned that about four years ago you were on the road, meeting people and doing classes. That's probably about the time I became aware of you and your work. And it seemed like at the time, like, where'd this guy come from? 
you're an overnight <laughs> success, you know, but I think anybody who has ever been called an overnight success says that it was actually, yeah, like 20 years of work leading up to the overnight portion. Yeah. I remember, I remember that too. I, I, so I was approached, I was teaching, I may have taught, I don't know, a dozen people in groups of four before that. And then I was approached. So I was Richard Sally um, knew of my work. And then Richard Sally approached me because I think, I think he was going to stop traveling. So he put my name in the hat for his promoter to kind of maybe, maybe, maybe me take his place, I guess. And so <laughs> I, I, I agreed. I don't know what I was thinking at the time, but I, I agreed. And I, you know, I, groups of 15. And when I came onto the scene, my, my first workshops, they, they sold out like, like wildfire. And I didn't, I didn't expect that. I really didn't because nobody knew who I was. And I remember getting all the responses from other instructors, like, where'd you, where'd you come from? What, who are you? And I, <laughs> you came out of nowhere. And I said, yeah, I, I kind of feel the same way. But again, it'd been probably, you know, 10 years before that, that I was making jewelry, but just doing it, you know, low key and doing small shows. And I wasn't really promoting myself very well. Um, stuff like that. So I did come out of the blue, but you know, I was, I was around doing something. Did you maintain your construction business or other work while you were realizing that you wanted to do jewelry as your main focus? Um, for a while. So I think for the first three or four years, um, I was doing, I was making jewelry and I was working in construction. Uh, I, I worked for a general contractor. I was building, I was building banks and I was making, I was making jewelry and I was doing shows on the side. So then I was making a little bit of income, making a little bit of income. And then I just got so fed up with construction. I got my, my body was, was breaking down. My back was hurting every day. Uh, and I was, you know, I just, I just said, you know what, I, I can't do this anymore. I got to I got to give this a shot and I got to, I got to take a chance. So I quit, just up and quit my, my job one day and started making jewelry. And my wife's like, all right, if you do this, you know, you got to do it on your own. You got, she wanted me to be self-sufficient because she didn't want to have to do all the all the all the back back end work. I'm like, all right. So I, I did it, and again, I was like, all right, I'll show you because I don't I don't think she really thought possibly I was going to do it for as long as I, I am. So I did it, and I kept going on with it, and um, I just I was just stubborn about it. You know, I wasn't making a lot of money, um, but I was just stubborn. I just had to make this. I had to make it work. There was there was no there was no going back. I mean, there was no other option. You know, I'm not I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I'm not the handsomest guy in the world. I am pretty funny, but I don't think I'm going to be a comedian. So um, I had to make this work regardless. And, you know, just perseverance, I guess. I'm still not making a whole lot of money, but it's it's keeping the lights on. Um, hopefully after this podcast, my name will get out there and I'll... I <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Strike it rich. Strike it rich making jewelry. Yeah, you know, it's not, it's not for the money. I mean, if anybody ever tells you you're gonna get rich making you know being an artist and jewelry designer it's it's probably not going to happen it's there's few and far between that people that make an excellent living at this uh it's it's for the love of it i mean it really is um i'm i think i'm wealth i'm wealthy in the fact that i'm happy and um if i'm happy i means i'm a good husband and i'm a good father and i'm not stressed out and uh if i'm happy my wife's happy so this is this is uh this is what i'm gonna do whether it you know whether i get rich at it or whether nobody ever knows my name again or, or whether I sell, sell them a piece of jewelry, I'll, I'll probably still be doing this regardless. Well, you're making it work. You know, I think, I think that big part of that is using your talents. I mean, it's pretty, pretty amazing for any artist to be able to build a business around their art, because I think um, you have to have a major amount of fire to have enough passion to get through the tough times and to, mm -hmm. you know, 
Um, it's not all about hanging out in your studio, making something cool. You know, nope. there's so much more to having the business than that. Yep. And people, some people don't understand that. They go, oh, you got the life. My friends are like, you got the life, Robert. You sit in your studio with the air conditioner on, sitting down all day, playing with fire and stuff. And I, and, and I was like, it's not, it's not everything. It's, and there's a lot of work involved with, with the business part of it. And I'm, I'm not a businessman by any means. You know, I'm horrible at marketing. I'm horrible at managing my own time. I'm, I'm horrible at scheduling. And, and it just, I ha and it's, it's rough. It's really rough to do the business side of it. And I do everything myself. There's no part of my business that, that I have help with. Every single thing is, is done by me, except for my editing of my, some of my written work, but everything, you know, from doing my own business cards to all the marketing to taxes and, and bills and paperwork and scheduling. It's, it's a lot of work. And now with the videos that I'm doing, you know, I had to teach myself how to, how to, to vid video, ed to edit videos, how to run the cameras, how to, how to work a, a PC and, and everything else that's involved with it, websites, building websites and, and yada, yada, yada. I'm doing everything myself and teaching myself how this, and it takes a lot of time and a lot of patience, um, especially for somebody like me who's not very tech savvy. It's, it's a lot of work. <laughs> well, I think, I mean, it is kind of phenomenal how much you have to learn, you know, different types. So you can be an expert at what you do. But then you also have to become an expert in all these other areas, you know, unless you're doing the kind of business where you can hire people to help, you know, mm -hmm. it is a lot of the ground floor is just doing it yourself mm -hmm. and, you know, getting family members to help. Like you have your wife to help with the editing. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, I get a lot of help and support from other, um, other instructors. So like, you know, I'll bounce ideas off or have questions, you know, I'll call, I'll call, you know, Jeff Fulkerson or I'll call um, Jessica Jordan or I'll give, you know, Francesca a ring and, Hey, how'd you guys do this? Or how'd you do that? Or how, you know, how do you think I should go about this? Or what do you think about this? And we all kind of help each other out. Um, that's, that's the good thing about, you know, being in this business, you know, a lot of the artists are in the same boat as you. And, you know, we have that camaraderie where we can, we can bounce ideas off each other and, and hopefully help each other out. Even, even in this tough time right now where people are so, Everybody's so divided. You call up these instructors and they're, you know, and in, in, in a sense, we're kind of competitors because we're fighting for the same clientele. But at the same time, we understand each other and respect each other enough to actually help each other out and, and, you know, just be uplifting and share each other's posts when we need to and things like that. So it's, it's a great community. Yeah, it really is. And it is, I think, the kind of community where the rising tide lifts all boats, you know. Yes, I that love saying that. Goes. I feel like, you know, we all do try to help each other out as much as we can, even though it is competitive, like you say, and times are divisive. It's kind of like jewelry brings people together. It does. It does. It's, it's the art of it. You know, it's, um, we, like I said, we all, we all know we're in the same boat and if we all help each other out, um, like you said, the rising tide raises all ships, you know, we've got to help each other out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's just how it goes. Or that's how I feel like it's so important. And yeah, so I think there's a lot a, of other people do too. Yeah. So like I, I also, I make tools. So I, I, I try to invent tools. I try to find a tool that's, you know, that's, that has a flaw in it. Or if I look around my studio and go, I wish I had something that would do this. So I, I invent tools and you know, I'm kind of new to it. I just, I make them myself. I, you know, I, yeah, I just, I just put, I just put things together kind of Mad Max yeah. style. And, well, and uh, I know there are limited quantities, but ones I've seen are very ingenious. Yeah. Limited, definitely limited qualities, quantities. Cause I, I make them all myself, but like, you know, I can call, I can call, um, Kevin Potter, and be like, Hey, Kevin, what do you think about this? Or how do you, and then he'll say, Hey, you know, I will, well, don't, you know, watch out for this or watch out for that. But yeah, the, the tool part of it, you know, again, you know, even though 
there's other people making tools. You can call these people, some of these people up and say, hey, what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? And they'll, they'll give me, you know, honest feedback, you know, whether, you know, whether it's a good idea or a bad idea, they're going to, they're going to tell me how it is. And that's, that's fantastic. And, you know, having friends like that. Definitely get by with a little help from your friends. Get by with a little bit of help from my <laughs> friends. <laughs> I know that. I song. know you love singing. <laughs> I, I do. I do. I'm not very good at it, but I do. I'm actually, I'm actually better at dancing. You should, you should catch some of my dance moves one of these days. Oh man! If only this is a video. <laughs> <laughs> what do they call it? Um, a vlog? A vlog instead of a blog? Yeah, I think we. I think we would call it that. Let's, let's get into that. Next. Let's, let's get okay. into that. What are some of the other things that you're hoping to do? I know you're developing online classes and I'm sure you'll be inventing more tools, creating more tools. What are some other things that you um, hope to focus your time on? Well, um, so right now, like, like you said, the, the online courses are my main focus right now. I've been meaning to do these for years. So I, you know, I spent all this time and money and in, in, in that. So that's going to eat up a lot of my time. Um, I have some tools that I've come up with that, are, that I've had on the back burner for a little bit. I've actually made a few prototypes for them. I just haven't figured out how to kind of mass produce them. So I'll probably get back to those. And the, the main thing that I really, really want to do is actually get back to the bench without the cameras on and, and make actually make some jewelry, make some jewelry that I want to make. That's not for a workshop. It's not for a class. It's not for a video. It's just something that I want to make and just get into it. I, I feel like the last four years um, of, of teaching has kind of halted my the, the growth of, of my jewelry. You know, I haven't really, I haven't really gone any further with my, I haven't progressed any further. So before I was teaching, I, I, I always gave myself a, a one-year goal where I would, I would, I would take it to the next level. I was telling myself, all right, it's time to take it to the next level. So I would, I would, I would bring my, my styles, techniques and and I would make these pieces bigger and bolder and spend more time on them. Well, once I started teaching, I really didn't have that time to, to grow and expand and progress. So I really, that's really what I really want to do. Um, it seems like my work is kind of looking the same as it did four years ago, I guess. And um, that's not, to me, that's not cool. I, I got, I got to progress. I got to make bigger, bolder pieces and kind of expand. I need my, some more bench time. I need more bench time for sure. Yeah. It's almost like you got to book the time with yourself, you know, um, book the time with yourself in the studio to get creative. Yeah, because I know how you said you've said that playing with fire and using tools that take some muscle really inspires you. So I yeah. could see if you're writing about it or talking about it, you're not doing it. Yes, 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 yes. So that's yeah, that's one of the things, and that and that's the like you said, that's the reason why one of the reasons why I make jewelry. So so I've done I've done all kinds of art. Um, paintings, drawings, woodworking, sculptures. I've, I've done, I've tried everything, but when I got to, when I got to metalsmithing, uh, when I learned how to metalsmith and I, I got my hands on hammers, torches, anvils, um, I have to use diamonds. And, and so metalsmithing to me is, is not, it's not light-handed. It's a very difficult, heavy-handed thing. It's very, it could be dangerous at times. I'm going to hurt myself. I'm going to bleed. I'm going to cry. Well, I, I, never mind. I'm not gonna cry, but <laughs> I might. I might bleed and get hurt. It's uh, okay if you do. I okay. I, I've done it a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a very, it's a very heavy-handed thing, and that's what's kept my interest all these, all these years with metalsmithing. It's not, it's not easy. So when I was doing a, a painting or, or drawing a sketch, well, that's very light-handed. It's very delicate, and it can be, it can be damaged or ruined easily. Water, fire, whatever. A, a rat could eat it. You know, the paper. Well, with jewelry. 
it's it's using silver using i use titanium um you have stones so I'm, I'm cutting stones i have to use diamonds to cut these stones i have to use large hammers large torches you know and it's it's a lot of work sometimes it's it's hard to do and not everybody can do it so that's what's really kept my interest over these years with with making jewelry and creating these pieces um, if it wasn't heavy-handed i probably would have moved on i would have lost interest and got bored and, and i'd probably be working at mcdonald's right now or something <laughs> well i'm glad you're making jewelry instead me, nothing me wrong with mcdonald's but i like I like seeing your art and seeing you teach and share what you've learned with other people too. It's exciting. Yeah. The sharing parts, it's, it's, it's been a weird thing. So like, I never thought, I never thought I'd be a teacher. I mean, I was, I was all of my teacher's worst enemy growing up and I never would have in the, my farthest dreams ever thought that I'd be an instructor or a teacher, but here I am teaching and it's kind of, it's very fulfilling to um, teach somebody something that I do especially if it's a technique that maybe I'd come up with or a style or a design and see them actually um, do what I do what I do or complete the project or even do it better than me. It's so, oh, yeah. fulfill, so fulfilling to see that they've actually learned it and that I've taught it in a way that they can understand it. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, what's really odd too, is that, like I said, I never thought I'd be a teacher, but people tell me I'm a very good teacher. And I, I'm like, I don't know how I learned how to be a teacher, but I'm just honest. And I just tell people how it is. And, I'm very clear and precise, uh, you know, precise about what I talk about, I guess. Well, it's a great compliment for them to say that you're a wonderful instructor. You know, it's not easy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, we always ask a guest what your favorite stone or piece of jewelry is. So I bet you do have a favorite. I have. I have a favorite of both of those. So my, my favorite stone, um, which has been my favorite stone for a long time, is uh, gem silica, chrysocolla. Um, I wow. love I love the color of it. Yeah. And and, and how would you why, describe the color? Um let's see, like a Caribbean, a Caribbean sea blue. Yeah. Yeah. Very, like a greenish, a greenish, slight tealish blue green, I guess. It comes it comes in different variations. Um, but that's but the one for you. Yeah, it's the one for me. I, I started off with Chrysocola, liking Chrysocola. I think it was Parrotman Chrysocola that I first came across. And then I, I luckily I came across somebody that um, the family had sold me the father's collection, so all this lapidary equipment, all this all the stones, and I got a really oh, good wow. price for it. They were going to throw it all away, and um, they came to me and I said I kind of assessed it and I told them what I could afford, what I had in my bank at the time, and they let me have it all. They said you know take it for what I offered them, and they said it was going to go to the dump anyways. And in that collection was a bunch of gem silica chrysocolla, beautiful stone, um, and to this day it's still my favorite stone. Um, it's probably in, you know, 40, 40% of my work will have gem silk in it. Um, yeah, I love the stone. And so then, pretty. yeah, it's a beautiful stone. Um, and then my favorite piece that I've ever made, and I still have it to this day. Um, it's the only piece that I would, I would never sell. Um, I made it, I want to say three, three or four years ago. Um, it's, it's a bracelet and it's hinged. It's made of wood. Um, it's made, so it's the, the wood part is burl wood and it's, it's, it's the, it's a cuff that has silver inlay into the wood, the burl wood. So these silver dots. And then on the outside of that is another cuff made out of, I want to say close to a thousand little pieces, little granules and wire that have all been fused together. It's hinged. So it, it the, the second, the silver part actually is over the wood part. So you can't really see a lot of the wood when it's closed. But when you unhinge it and open it up, you see all the woodwork, and it's got a 
box clasp that's actually inside of a half a half oh, how do I describe it like a half a bead like half a half a ball but the box clasp is inside of it everything is patterned everything is textured wow there's, it sounds amazing there's there's yeah there's garnets and peridots um rough so so natural surface garnets and peridots that I've cabbed the sides of it and there's smoke mother of pearl um, and it's got a hidden clasp so the box clasp is a pearl on top of it you push the pearl and it opens up the the clasp oh, I love those it's yeah it's it's a crazy piece it took me 109 hours to make it oh um, wow the engineering of it because it's wood and smoke mother of pearls i kind of figure out the exact engineering and the process and steps because you can't put the wood in you know um pickle you can't take a torch to it same thing with the smoke smoke mother of pearl everything had to fit perfectly and move perfectly and line up perfectly and have and be built in certain step i made that for um i made that for the Saul bell competition um a few years back yeah my craftsmanship wasn't, it wasn't good enough to even qualify, but it's a beautiful piece. I think <laughs> sometimes you just need that, um, inspiration, you know, or, um, incentive to make something, you know, yeah. you have that goal of entering the contest. So that's it exactly allowed you to spend that time at the bench. Yeah. That's cool. exactly what it was. I was, I wanted, I wanted to enter the conference so bad. And I, and I said, you know, I don't care if I win or not. Um, I just, I just want to make something big and bold and, and see what happens. And, um, yeah, I, uh, my photographs were horrible when I, when I sent them, sent them the photographs of the competition, they were horrible photographs. So that's, that might be one of the reasons why I didn't even qualify. Well, that is one of our top 10 tips for how to enter contests is take great photos. Yes. Especially yes. when the judging is by photo, but oh, I, yeah. I hope you'll give us a picture so that we can post it up your bracelet. That would be great yeah. to share. Yeah, absolutely. So over the years, I've taught myself how to take better photographs. I made photo booths and um, I have better cameras and lenses. So so now I have good photographs of that piece, um, a bunch of different angles. So yeah, it's 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 a wonderful piece. And I would never sell. People always ask me what I would, if I were to sell it, how much would I sell it for? And I say, I wouldn't sell it. So there's no number. It's, it's a labor uh, of love. Yeah. yeah it'll, it'll always be with me. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, Robert, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much for sharing about your art and business life. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Um, I really appreciate you inviting me to do this. No problem. If you enjoyed this conversation, please leave a review on Apple iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. To see pictures, please check out our show notes, interweave.com slash jewelry dash artist dash podcast. Jewelry Artist is hosted and produced by me, Katie Hacker. We had help from Tamara Hahnemann and Merle White, with special thanks to the team at Lapidary Journal Jewelry Artist Magazine. Jewelry Artist is an interweave podcast and produced by Golden Peak Media. Our podcast producer is Matthew Talisfor. Tammy Jones is our web editor, and Jesse Rodriguez does our marketing. Our executive producer of podcasts is Jared Mayer.